Welcome to the Unwritten Life Podcast, where we share that your deepest pain can lead to your biggest gain, and that your story is still unwritten. Now introducing your host, Tim Sawhook. Welcome to the show today, everybody. I'm so excited to have you here for another episode of the Unwritten Life Podcast. As always, I am your host, Tim Sawhook, and I'm grateful that you guys are here along with me on this journey today. Guys, we did it. We made it to season three. Now, season three was a year in the making, and I know I was absent for a while, but when you're busy with life on a job and things like that, it's always hard to uh, keep the podcast going and bring in the quality that I wanted to bring to you, the amazing stories that I want to put in front of you. So, Thank you for still coming back after this absence of time. I really appreciate it. So let's talk about season three. What does it look like? How often will the shows be coming out? So when I did season one and season two, I was faithful to have a new episode each week. And I'll be honest with you, it takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of time to um, find the people and schedule a time to do the recordings. And it takes a lot of time and then on the post editing part of it to edit the podcast, get it ready, get it submitted into the iTunes feed and all those things so it's ready for you guys each and every week. So to be faithful to my time here and uh, with my family and with my job and to you as well, right now to start the podcast for the year, it's going to be released monthly at this point. And I know that's kind of a bummer because I know you guys enjoyed every week and so did I. But until I can get more of the podcast recorded and get them all edited and lined up, and at that point maybe I can speed up the release time, but to be faithful to all the things going on and all the time that I'm committed to other places, as well as the podcast, I'm going to be doing it monthly to start off with. So thank you for your patience. Thank you for being faithful and coming back to the podcast. And above all, if you are enjoying the podcast, if you like the previous episodes and you know what the Unwritten Life podcast is all about, please share it. I would be so in debt to you if you share this podcast because it really showcases and highlights the people who come on and are strong enough to share their struggles and also share how they came through the other side. And we talk about it all the time that this podcast main goal is to be a revolution for hope. And we all need a lot of hope these days in our life with everything going on. So please share the links, talk about the podcast. So we have a chance to highlight all these people who take the time to be vulnerable and to share their stories because they're so worth it. And they're so amazing. So to kick off season three, I'm going to be doing a giveaway, a gift card giveaway, and I'm going to be doing it from random people who submit new reviews on iTunes. So what I'm asking for is a positive five-star review, and what that does, it's not about boosting my ego, and I'm like, oh, amazing, I got a review. What reviews do is it kind of helps people find the podcast. It puts it more in their feed, becomes a more mainstream, and people can find this. So that's what I'm hoping to do, and I'm going to ask for your help doing that. So anybody who submits a brand new review on iTunes, I'm going to put you on a drawing, and we're going to be giving away a gift card of your choice. Um, I think this is a fun way to do it. You get a gift card. Um, we get more reviews for the show, and it shows up in more people's lives and more people's feeds. So if you could help me do that and spread that word, I would really appreciate it. And we can kick off season three with a little fun and some gift cards. Who doesn't want that? I would take a free gift card. And then lastly, before we get the show going today, uh, I ask you to go back and revisit season one and season two. Some of the most powerful stories coming out of there. 
I promise that the podcasts and the stories that have already been shared will impact you. It will give you a little context about your life, a little perspective, and maybe really help you dealing with something that you're going through right now. So not only if you're a new subscriber, enjoying season three and the great things to come, but go back and enjoy those things as well. Well, like I promised at the top of the show, we have an amazing podcast today, an amazing story of loss, of growth, and of strength. So without further delay, here's my conversation with Brittany Mesher. Brittany, welcome to the show. How are you doing today? Thank you so much. I'm good. Doing good. Excited to be here. Good, good. So Brittany has a really powerful, strong story. And um, we spoke over a year ago about her coming onto the podcast to share her story. So this has been a year in the making, getting this all together and lined up for today. So really thankful for you being here today. But before we get into the biggest part of your story and why you're here, I'd like to take it back to the OG days, the original days before your story even starts to evolve. So what was it like growing up? Where did you come from? Where did you live? Yeah, so um, I'm 28 years old, um, born and raised in Lebanon, a small town in Ohio. Um, grew up, you know, it's kind of a rural town, so not a whole lot to do. Um, everybody knows everybody. Everybody knows everybody's story and business <laughs> and life. Um, so I went, you know, all through school here, um, and then I ended up going to nursing school. I went to a local, um, private nursing school. Um, I didn't go away to college, um, and now I work as a pediatric registered nurse. So growing up in high school, you said everybody knows everybody. Everyone knows each other's businesses and families and stuff like that. Um, at what point did you start dating and thinking about a life beyond high school, what was that like for you? Yeah, so um, I had a few like serious relationships in high school, um, and then the summer before my senior year, um, I met who I ended up marrying, um, so I met Andrew, who we called Pugsley, mm-hmm. um, that was his nickname, and I didn't even know his real name <laughs> um, until <laughs> like I had already known him for a couple months probably, because everybody called him Pugsley. All right. Well, we have to break that down. So where does the nickname Pugsley come from? So when he was a kid, like a little kid, um, there was a neighbor boy um, who we still know today. And he said that he looked like Pugsley Adams on the (laughs) Adams family. And he started calling him Pugsley and it just stuck. It just like through <laughs> his whole life. Yeah. And it's like we, he was from Lebanon as well. Right. Um, so everybody again knows everybody. So it was like, Oh, Pugsley. Oh yeah, I know Pugsley, you know, so that was just his nickname and it became his name. <laughs> it became his name. So yeah. l- tell me about the very first time you met Pugsley. Where was this at? What was it like? So I met him um, at a mutual friend's house. You know, there's not a lot to do in Lebanon. So there's a lot of like bonfires, garage house parties, you know, kind of things as teenagers. Um, And so he was at a mutual friend's house um, and he was, it was a party and he had, you know, been there for a while. So he was having a really good time. Um, And he was like the funniest person ever. And he was just making everybody laugh and just... (laughs) being super silly and funny. Um, and I, you know, it like stood out to me and I was like, that guy is so funny. Um, and then he actually reached out to me on MySpace because it was before Facebook. Times. Yes. 
Did it you remember in MySpace? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so he reached out to me um, and said like something silly and then, you know, kind of grew from there. We hung out with the same people. Mm -hmm. um, so we just ended up being around each other a lot. And then um, I was, I had been in a relationship and we had broken up and then um, Pugsley and I just kind of started hanging out and then started dating. And then, you know, it kind of went from there. So how old were you guys when you started uh, dating? So I was eight, about to turn 18 and he was four years older than me. Okay. Um, so he was like 21, 22 okay, uh, so when we, we started dating. So you were going after those older men when you were 18. <laughs> right, yeah. okay. All right. So now, now we know a little more insight to Brittany's life. Right. Getting and, to know me a little better. Right. Um, so you said one of the things that stuck out to you most when you first met him was him being funny. Mm -hmm. And uh, I've heard that from uh, your sister who I know obviously who uh, works with me about, he was one of the funniest people in the world. What, what was it about him that made him so funny? Would he tell jokes? Would he just kind of own the room? What was it about him? Yeah. He just honestly had like the biggest personality and he was, you know, you hear people say that a lot, like, Oh, they lit up a room, whatever. And he truly did. Like when he was in a room, he, had attention at all times like he was and he didn't want to or mean to he just like everything he said was genuinely funny um and he was unapologetically himself which a lot of times ended up being funny because you're like who says that like you don't say that in a room full of people you know but it what he was like look i am who i am right and he was just larger than life and just hysterical everything that he said was so funny well, that's amazing. He sounds like an amazing guy, and I wish I've got to meet him and hear him make yeah. everybody laugh in the room. Uh, what did your family think when you brought him home for the first time, him being a little bit older than you, right? Yeah, and, uh, this different and his name was Pugsley. Right. Yeah. So what, did, what did everybody think when you brought him home to mom and dad? Um, so I, they were a little taken back, I think, especially my sister, um, and you know her, they were close. My sister is also four years older than me. So they were like the same age. Mm -hmm. Um, so that was an interesting dynamic and his name was Pugsley and, uh, my brother-in-law knew him like from parties in high school. Okay. So he was like, he's a, you know, he's funny, but he's like wild and whatever. Um, and very, so I think they were a little skeptical at first. Um, but very, very shortly after, um, we started dating, they all just loved him. Um, and he became a huge part of our family immediately. Um, with that being said, what, what was the one time that you knew, so you loved him for his laughter and how he owned a room, but what was the one point where you knew like, this is going to be my forever someone? Oh, that's a good question. He, Pugsley was just that person that, um, you knew like no matter what happened, he was going to be there. Mm -hmm. He was going to be like, and he, not just with me, he was like that with, he was like a, a rock and a solid foundation in his own family mm -hmm. and became that in my family. And he was the center of like this large group of friends as well. And he, you just knew that you could depend on him and that like, no matter what, you know, storm would come that you could weather it together mm -hmm. and that he wasn't going anywhere. And I think that kind of characteristic was like, okay, yeah. this is somebody that you build a life with, you know, no I, matter I, what comes along, you know, you'll be okay. Well, tell me, tell me what the time you got engaged to get married. What was that like? Um, so I had 
threatened for lack of a better word for him to <laughs> never propose to me in public i was like i will be, i just can't do that i just see it and it's sweet and it's cute and i would be humiliated and you can't do that so it became a running joke i was like right. don't do it in front of a large group of people whatever so i was a waitress i was in nursing school and i was a waitress at skyline um and my i was at work and my dad had called and he's like hey did bugsley try to call me and i was like i don't know i'm at work you know right and he's like um, okay, got to go by. <laughs> and I like tried to call him back and he wouldn't answer. And I was like, that's weird. And one of the girls at work um, was like, why would Pugsley try to call your dad unless he was going to propose to you? And I was like, oh my gosh, you guys are ridiculous. <laughs> and then I was like real nervous. I'm like, oh gosh, what's going on? So I got home that day um, and at my mom's house and he was there. And he was being so weird, super weird. He was like following me around the house. I was like emptying my coffee cup from the morning and doing things. And he was like, Hey, um, could I, I just, could I just talk to you? You know? And he was like, never nervous. He never met a stranger. He was always calm. And he was like physically sweating and looked like he was going to be sick. And I was like, Oh my gosh, like what is going on? And so he, I was like in my skyline uniform and he had work clothes on and he just, he, had a I had a Pandora bracelet uh -huh. this is his humor that I didn't find so funny <laughs> I had a Pandora bracelet and so he got out a, a box like a ring box but it was a bead for a bracelet mm -hmm. and it had like a bride and a groom oh. and he said I really want to get married um, and I love you and you know yada 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 but I can't afford a ring so I was wondering if you would wear this bracelet this bead on your bracelet instead and I remember thinking, like, how on earth am I going to explain this to people? I'm engaged. Look at my bracelet. And then he started, like, hysterically laughing and then got down on one knee and had a ring. And oh, I was like, my oh, my gosh. Like, but that was just, like, he thought that was hilarious, you know, and it is in hindsight. But I was like, oh, my goodness. So. That is an amazing memory, an amazing yeah. story. <laughs> yeah. I can picture you trying to figure out how you're going to convince people that this little bead on your bracelet means <laughs> right. I have got my forever someone that we're going to get married. And, uh, right, right. All yeah. those things going, because you probably didn't want to hurt his feelings either. Like, right. Like, I wanted to say yes, but I was thinking, like, well, what, a bead? Seriously? <laughs> like, this is the best we can come up with? Oh, that is an amazing story. Thank you for sharing that. Again, yeah. this gives us a little more insight into Bugsley and what he was like and what he was doing on a day-to-day -day basis to try to make you happy and uh, start your life together. So uh, you guys get engaged, and I know you eventually get married. So how, how yeah. old are you at the time when you guys get married? So um, when we got engaged, I think I was 21, 20 or 21. And then when we got married, I was 23. Um, I was a pretty um, systematic person. Like, I will finish college. I will get my first job. We will get an apartment together. And then we will get married. Mm -hmm. um, because in my head, that's how things had to work. And I was like, this is what we're going to do. Right. And I'm going to do these things, check them off my list before we get married. So um, I was 23. So he would have been like 28-ish uh, when we got married. We got married June 5th of 2015. Mm -hmm. um, we had a summer wedding, a huge, um, huge bridal party because he had so many friends. Um, I had nine bridesmaids. He had nine groomsmen and two ushers because he couldn't, he was like, but I need 11 groomsmen. Wow. And I was like, <laughs> I don't have that many friends. <laughs> like, this is a problem. Right. So he had two ushers and then it was a no kids wedding. Okay. Um, but my, he insisted 
which I was obviously fine with, but insisted that my nephew, my sister and brother-in-law's son were, was in the wedding, Mm -hmm. um, and was the ring bearer because he just loved him so much. Um, as do I, but you know, I'm like, what's a no kid's wedding. And my sister's like, it's, I don't want to have to bring my kid. Like it's a no kid's wedding. (laughs) And he's like, Emmett is going to be in the wedding or there's not a wedding, Mm -hmm. you know? So that is awesome. Yeah. Give me, give me one memory about your wedding day. Something that stands out to you. So um, before the ceremony, um, we did a first look picture mm-hmm. that people do a lot. You know, right. you see the bride before the wedding. And we had not planned on doing a first look, but we were both so nervous just about the wedding, like about standing up in front of all these people and all this, um, that we decided through text message, right? Because we couldn't talk to each other, um, that we were going to do a first look. And we did the first look, and we both were just like hysterically crying. like. Uh-oh blubbering crying and I think it was just like pent up emotion from all day and then we felt like okay whew, I can breathe a little bit right um but and I loved that moment but my favorite moment was after that and he was still pretty nervous and our our friend Joel who is very important to us in our lives mm-hmm. um he actually got ordained to marry us oh, wow. um he had like when we got engaged we were over at their house very shortly after at a um, New Year's Eve party. And we had kind of jokingly talked about, well, who's going to marry us? Cause we didn't belong to a church. Right. And Joel was like, I'll get ordained to marry you. And we were like, okay, that's a great idea. And so like a right. few weeks later, he messaged us and was like, were you serious? You know? So we were. And um, so he had gotten ordained and we, you know, went to the service and everything. So then that day on our wedding day, Joel, pulled him aside and he prayed with him and Pugsley, you know, he believed in God and he, he had faith, but he, we were not Sunday churchgoers by any means, um, through our marriage. And he prayed with Joel and my brother-in-law, Jeff, and I have a, we have a picture our photographer got, and it is like my all time favorite picture from our wedding. And it's Pugsley, Jeff and Joel standing, praying with their heads bowed. And Pugsley is just like weeping. Like not just crying. It was like a spiritual moment. Mm-hmm. Um, and he talked about that moment, you know, for the next two years, like how, just how much it meant to him. Right. It, so. It's a, it's amazing when you have those moments, especially, I mean, not that you have to be at church every single weekend and things like that, but there's those times where God will come in and kind of like wash over you. Yes. And the yeah. times that you're not even expecting it, you know, it could be during Christmas and you're singing Christmas hymns and things at church or it could be a moment like you're talking about right there. But that amazing moment where you can feel nothing but joy and also mm-hmm. tears come because you feel that amazing power being washed over you, you being prayed upon. And that yes. is something that's an amazing feeling that nobody will ever forget. And yeah. what, what a beautiful memory, not just yeah. on your wedding day, but of that your friend being ordained and um, what an amazing thing to share. Thank you for sharing. Yeah. Yeah. So you guys had an amazing wedding and now you are starting your life together. And you told me that you had this plan in place about all these things that had to be done before you got married and getting this apartment and things like that. How did things line up for you as you guys were starting your life together married? Yeah. So, um, we, we we lived in an apartment, um, when we got married and then shortly after, um, we started looking for a house, um, and we bought a house in Lebanon near all of our family. Um, we bought a house and then, you know, 
I was very, like I said, systematic about things. Like these are, the, this is the way you do things. And Pugsley was not. So like right. before we bought a house, he wanted to buy a motorcycle. And I was like, you can't buy a motorcycle before we buy a house. That makes no sense. <laughs> so we bought a house. Um, and then, you know, we, we just had this great group of family, certainly, but also of friends, like this large group of friends. And we did a lot of stuff. Him and his like guy friends were always into the same things at the same time. Um, so we purchased a boat. Um, we had a camper, um, a lot of toy things. Um, we had no kids, you know, so we were kind of just living life with our, right. our friends. Um, he was a huge like wheeler and dealer. So he would buy car parts, boat parts. We were like, we're always trading things. I was always like, where did your truck go? Like I came home and your truck's gone and now you have a dirt bike. <laughs> like what happened here? Um, and he, um, he would like make friends with all of these people. Right. He would like, we would go and do these kind of deals where he would like swap a, transmission and things and then late like three months later I'd be like who are you texting it's 10 30 at night he'd be like remember that guy I sold the exhaust to in Monroe I'm like yeah he's like him he said his daughter was sick when I met him so I just wanted to catch up and see how he was doing you know just <laughs> random so and his he's just that was just who he was um so we did a lot of mm -hmm. like boating and camping and motorcycle riding um he had turned his motorcycle into a big wheel bagger um, so he like refurbed it from bottom up. Um, and that was, so he was a big hobby guy, big okay. car guy. And that was what we all spent a lot of our time doing. Um, you know, all of his friends were married to my girlfriends because we live in a small town. Right. Everybody knows everybody. So we just, a lot of, you know, recreational things and a lot of quick vacations and weekend trips with friends and family. So you were talking about that he was a big wheeler dealer and that was just kind of his personality. He loved to get stuff, trade stuff and like that. Um, everybody loved him. He was friends. He's texting a random guy asking about his sick daughter. Just yeah. shows his heart, right? Shows yeah. what he was all about. And you said that you guys have a big family. What was it like on Sundays? I know Sundays were a big deal with family yeah. in your house. Tell me about that. Yeah, so um, my mom always had Sunday dinner, um, mm -hmm. and it was, we would go over like a few hours before dinner, like late afternoon, um, and hang out, we'd eat dinner, um, Pugsley would play with my nephew, and Alice was very little, my niece was very little at the time, um, but in years prior, um, he, him and Emmett would be like wrestling, he was always just like the biggest kid in the room, right. um, but lots of conversation around the dinner table that I'm so thankful for, a lot of inappropriate conversation around the <laughs> dinner table that at the time I was like, you are seriously saying this in front of my mom, like what is wrong with you, um, but you know, looking back, those are like the best memories right. um, and just really you know his family as well had a ton there they have a humongous family um, and they have they celebrate everybody's birthday so it w became a running joke with his friends to like every week we had a birthday dinner to go to <laughs> but it was very very important to me as well but very important right. to him like this is family and this is what we do right um, and the same you know with my family so Sundays were great a lot of times we would spend early part of the day with his family and then the afternoon and evening with my family Right. No, it's awesome. I love to hear that. And, you know, I come from a big family. There's seven kids in my family. Everybody's married. We got 20,000 kids. And right. every time we get together, there's like 50 people. But you're, what you were talking about 
most fun comes from the unplanned parts of those days, like the crazy yeah. stories and the inappropriate stuff and the wrestling and just the fun things. And those memories do resonate and last with you, right? Because oh, yeah. those are the things that you recall, not the what did we have to eat that day or what time we were supposed to be there, but the unscripted, unplanned things that you guys did together. Uh, yes. I, and I wanted to hear more about that because I knew that was a big part of your story and your family every single week having that together. Mm-hmm. So he was obviously a very handy guy. He could do a lot of different things. So what kind of career path did he have? What was his job like? So um, early in our, our relationship, he was a mechanic. Um, he worked at a few like mechanic shops in town, um, working on cars. And then he decided when I was in nursing school, he went back to school and he became a welder. Mm-hmm. Um, so he had his welding certification and then ended up getting hired on at a company um, and became a, a truck driver. So he got his CDLs um, and he ended up driving a truck and um, for a company and they would move machinery. Mm-hmm. Um, so they would go in and like haul large machines in and out of factories. Okay. Did he like his job? Do you like what he was doing? He did. He loved his job. Um, he loved his job. He loved, you know, the people he worked with and worked for. Um, he would always joke about like how dangerous it was that like, Oh my job, it's, it's real dangerous. And my sister tells the story that he um, looked at her one night at Sunday dinner um, because somebody had, something had happened at work and he kind of looked at her at Sunday dinner and Courtney, she said like, why would you do that? You know? And he said, Oh, my job is very dangerous, but I love it. And I love what I do. And she said like that moment, you know, especially in hindsight, that moment has always like stuck out to her. Right. But that was who he was never afraid of like danger of things like that. And he loved what he did. So what was so dangerous about his job that he did? I think just like the magnitude of like the machinery um, and just the logistics of moving such large machines. Okay. Okay. So you're a nurse He's mm-hmm. doing this thing. He's kind of been a mechanic, goes back to school. Now he's working with this company, moving heavy machinery. Where does your story start to evolve here uh, with Pugsley and his job and things like that? So um, he, you know, had worked there for a few years. Um, it was that he was in an industrial accident. Um, essentially. So it was a Tuesday, a normal Tuesday. Um, He got up, he went to work. I got up, I went to work. I was working at a nursing home um, locally and my sister's sister-in-law was my boss. um, And we were off site that day on this Tuesday in August, August 22nd Mm -hmm. um, of 2017. We were off site working on a certification, um, like an online certification. Right. So we were at the library um, and we were working and um, Pugsley had texted me and he said, um, I was just thinking about what a fun summer we've had and all the memories that we've made. And I'm just so grateful for the life that we've built together. And I said, you know, something along the lines of, I agree. It's been, it's been a great summer, just like, you know, a seemingly normal text like we've had such a great summer it's august it's nearing fall you know um and that was the last thing that he ever said to me um so we were at the library and my phone rang and i can picture it um i can picture my phone lighting up and it was our friend travis um who was pugsley's friend but also his co-worker right um and he my phone rang and it said travis and i immediately knew something was wrong Right. Um, just, it was bizarre that he was calling me at noon 
um, on a Tuesday. And I said, Jen, I have to take this. So I like answer my phone and I, it's silent in the library. Right. So I'm like, hello, hello. And Travis is like instantly very, you can tell he's very distraught. Um, and I'm like, what, what's wrong? He's like, has anybody called you? Has anybody called you? And I'm like, no. And it's kind of a blur. And you know, he's a lot of like heavy breathing and panicking. And then he said, I don't know how to say this, but there was an accident. Mm. There was an accident and, um, Pugsley's gone. Oh, wow. And I, at this point, was in the corridor, kind of of like the front door of the library. Um, and I can vividly remember, I can watch this whole day like a movie in my right. head. Like truly, like I can watch the whole thing play out in hindsight. And I remember standing in the corridor of that doorway and my entire body went cold. And I can't explain it any other way than that. Like from head to toe, my whole body went cold. And I just said, I need the owner's phone number, I need to call them. Right. And I did. Um, and I called and I, and nobody was answering and I called and I hung up because I didn't know who else to call. You know, at that point I felt like in my head, I was thinking he has misinformation. This isn't right. Maybe something happened, but he didn't die, you know? And so at that point, Jen had come out, my friend had come out. Um, and she was like, what is going on? And I said like, Pugsley, Pugsley died. And I was very matter of fact, because I was like in shock. I wasn't crying. I was just very like shocked. So I called one more time and a detective answered the phone. Um, And he said, you know, I'm so sorry. I said, I, I, my husband was in an accident. I need to know where to go. Right. I need to know what I'm supposed to do. What are you at the hospital? Like, I don't understand what happened and I need to know what happened. And he said, ma'am, I'm so sorry. Your husband is deceased. Oh my gosh. And I looked at Jen and she could kind of hear through the phone and she said, give me the phone. And I was like, no, like I have to know what happened. And she said, give me the phone because you're not going to understand what he's saying. And she's a nurse as well. She was also like eight and a half months pregnant with twins. So not in a great position to be emotionally distraught. Right. Um, Because he was part of her family too, you Mm -hmm. know? So, but she was right because really what I was hearing was like, womp, 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 womp. I wasn't hearing what the detective was telling me so she took the phone and I remember just kind of pacing in the hallway like I didn't know what to do and then it's all kind of a blur we left we went into the parking lot and that's when I remember really like just breaking down and I was like hysterical Mm -hmm. hysterically crying and like shaking and um she called my sister and I called my best friend Sarah um and I I said I don't remember talking. I remember calling Sarah, but I don't remember our conversation, but Sarah does. Um, and she will talk to this day about, she still wakes up like in the middle of the night with, and hears me screaming, Pugsley died, Pugsley died. Um, because I was just so like frantic and hysterical. So we went to, um, Jen's house. I didn't want to go home. She's like, where, where should I take you? And I did not want to go to my house. Um, so we went to Jen's house and I called my mother-in-law on the way because I thought I have all this information and now I have to, I have to tell people this, like, this isn't just my, like, I I have to call his mom and I have to call his sister and all these people. Um, and I remember just kind of like rocking back and forth in Jen's car and saying like, this is not happening. This is not happening. And she was like, it's going to be okay. And I was so like 
angry, you know, and confused. And I called my mother-in-law and I just like blurted out. She's like, hi, honey, what's going on? You know, like, cause it's a normal Tuesday in her right. world. She's a babysitter. She runs an in-home daycare. So she has a thousand little kids at her house. Right. And I said to her, um, there was an accident and, um, Pugsley died because I, in the moment I didn't, right. I had no other words, you know, I, you- I couldn't sugarcoat it. Did you say it just as matter of fact, just like that? Yeah, I, I just said, like, there was an accident and Pugsley died. And she was like, oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. I have to call someone to come to me. Mm-hmm. And she hung up the phone. And Jen was like, well, probably wasn't the best way to relay that information. And I just said, like, I don't, what am I supposed to say? Right. You know, I was just so, like, panic stricken. So we went to Jen's house and the day kind of progressed. People showed up, you know, our co we had a very, very tight knit group of coworkers where I worked. So our like leadership team showed up. Um, they were like the first people there. And then, you know, mm-hmm. my sister showed up and my brother-in-law and um, that her father-in-law and they were there and just a lot of phone calls, a lot of um, it's a small town. So people right. started right. hearing about it almost instantly. Um, And so we kind of just sat on Jen's porch for a while and just didn't say anything. Um, We cried and we kind of just sat there in disbelief. Well, let me jump in here real quick. And I want to first say, you know, I'm sorry for the loss of your husband. I know it's been some time now, um, but traumatic news that is in that day. And and it's funny as you're telling the story, and I, I don't mean it funny in that way, but funny in the way that you're telling the story is that you said when you answered the phone and you got the news, you were really matter of fact about it. And I can see that as you're telling the story, because at that part of the story, as you're telling it, you've been, you were really matter of fact speaking. And I can start yeah. to see you getting more escalated in your feelings as you're talking, kind of like you're feeling that day over again, as you were starting to escalate the, the crying and the, and the car rocking. And I just want to tell you how proud I am of you being here today, sharing your story. It is not an easy thing to go back to those dark places in our life. The ones that, you know, really brought us to rock bottom, but for you to have the strength and the power, you are going to help somebody by sharing your story. Number one person you're going to help is you because you're getting that story out and you're getting his memory out. And I know there are many, many, many people who have dealt with severe loss like this who need to hear someone else who's been through it and has some strength on the other side of that. So I just want to say that mid story that you're doing amazing. And I'm really proud of you for being strong enough to share that here today. Thank you. Um, So you said everybody came over to the house. You have everybody there. Everybody's Mm -hmm. crying. Everybody's in shock. And you guys were just sitting outside just kind of in quiet in peace. What kind of happened next? Yeah, so we kind of just were processing. There were a lot of phone calls. Um, A lot of my phone was just like insanely going off. Um, I called a few of his like closest friends um, who I was sure already knew, but I felt like I needed to talk to them. Um, So I called them and then um, we went to uh, my mother-in-law's house, uh, my sister and my friend Sarah and Jen and I, we kind of got in the car and went to my mother-in-law's house where his family had gathered by that point. Right. Um, and I, you know, apologized to my mother-in-law for telling her this awful news over the phone. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, everybody's grieving and everybody's in shock sure. there as well. And then, you know, 
things start like the process of someone has died and now there's this checklist and this to-do list that has to happen. And I remember standing in her front yard and, um, a a sheriff called and he said, you have to call the coroner Mm -hmm. to release the body. Um, and words like that, call the coroner to release the body. Right. It becomes such a, like, unemotional, detached thing because that's right. their job, you right. know, and that's 100%. I get that. Um, but it's just hard when that's your loved one to sure. hear words like his belongings, you know. So the last, literally the, the only thing left of him at this point, the only tangible thing is his wallet, his keys, and his cell phone. And you can pick those things up at the you know, coroner's office. So those phone calls, you know, and then we left my mother-in-law's and went to my mom's and all of our friends kind of gathered at that point. And everybody just, we sat around in disbelief and it was a lot more lighthearted than, you know, maybe you would think because there were so many people and everybody kind of just went to this place of telling stories, telling these funny stories about Pugsley. Um, because that's what he would have wanted us to do. He doesn't, he was very like, he never wanted people to be upset or stand around crying. Um, so we, we did that. And then my sister came out, she had been in the house and she came out and said, um, I just think you should know, um, it's on the news. Oh, okay. And I was very like taken back. I was like, well, I didn't really, I don't, they have to notify people, you know, isn't there like a chain of you have to notify next of kin and you have to make sure the family is told and there wasn't. Um, and it was immediately broadcasted on like every local news station. Mm -hmm. Um, and they had pulled pictures already like off of Facebook and off of social media. The main, like the news people's favorite picture that they all used was of, him and I, it was our family pictures that we had done in May of that year. And it was him and I holding our niece and nephew. So holding my sister's kids. So the picture appeared that it was this man who, who had a wife and two kids, which was not at all the situation. Right. Um, so, but it was, you know, on the news and, um, we all just kind of took it in for a while. And then, um, my best friend came home with me. I, she stayed with me for a few nights and, you know, then you just start going through the process of the funeral and the cemetery and all of those things. Let me ask you about it. When you heard the news that it was on the news, did you feel Mm -hmm. like a bit of like an invasion into your privacy, into like a personal part of your life that you intended nobody to see, but you and your family? Yeah, I felt like it wasn't, it wasn't time yet. You know, like I felt like we were the only ones that were supposed to know this information. It felt sacred information for whatever reason. Right. Yeah. Um, and I think it in hindsight, like I just wasn't ready. I wasn't ready to, to for other people to know. And because once it's on the news, like it's real, right? right? It's a it's a real thing. This is he's now a headline. Right. He's not just my husband. He is now on channel twelve. Um, and so it made it a lot more like real that it had mm-hmm. truly happened. Let me ask you a question just about things that are going on currently with the news of the passing of Kobe Bryant and that tragic helicopter accident. Did that bring yes. back a lot of feelings? Like, cause you were saying, cause it was yeah. broadcast on TMZ first that he had died in a helicopter crash before family or anybody yeah. knew. And it was a tragic instant accident similar to what your, your husband, did this bring back a lot of feelings and emotions? It did. Yeah. It's, it's, 
interesting how quickly you can go back to that place emotionally. And I felt so sad. You know, it's tragic that Kobe Bryant died, that he is a celebrity and whatever. I'm not like an NBA fan. So that aspect of it didn't resonate with me personally. But I kept thinking about his wife, Vanessa. Like, so she, in the blink of an eye, lost her husband and her daughter. Right. And I thought about all of these things, like, sure, we, people look at it differently. He's a celebrity. It's a tragic loss to society, but like, he's a person and she's a person. And those kids are people and his Kobe Bryant's mom, if she's alive and his siblings, you know, all of those people, they may be celebrities and they may have billions of dollars and be in the limelight. But they're still doing the same things that everyone who goes through loss has to do. Like she went to, she woke up that day and thought she was going to hear the, you know, stats of the game afterwards. Right. She didn't know that she was going to go to bed that night without her husband and without her daughter. Mm -hmm. And the next day, life doesn't stop. You know, and so she had to do those things. Thankfully, the world is rallying behind her, but she still has to plan a funeral and pick out an outfit for him to wear and all of those things that as a wife and as as a mother, Mm -hmm. she should never have to do. Right. So, yeah, those it's very easy to go go straight back into that place. And, the you know, since the news broke on Sunday, I've had a lot of sleepless nights just praying for that family and, and right. all of the other families of right. loved ones on that plane, all of the other people who died that aren't getting the headlines, um, but all of their families and what they're going through. Right. Absolutely. I thought about that this week because I knew we were going to be recording the podcast today and, you know, the story about your husband, he was gone just like that. You know, you got a yeah. text from him earlier in the day about how great the summer was. And then just like that, it's gone. And and now you have to deal and I thought about that when, you know, the passing of Kobe and all the people on the uh, helicopter crash, how it was just an instant thing. And it was it was really kind of neat how everybody in the world just started kind of rallying around the point of love, right? Because yeah. we're not promised tomorrow at all. Our life and our path is so uncertain and not ours that everyone was kind of like, I need to make amends with people. I need mm-hmm. to tell the people that I love that. I love them and that, you know, I may not see them tomorrow or five hours from now and to be thankful for those relationships and those times and those things. So I thought as tragic as that was the amount of heart that went out around the world with people. And, and I'm going to wondering, did that same kind of thing happen to you with your family and friends after that? Yeah, so it certainly did. Um, People, you know, I had said we had large families and a large friend, like group of friends, um, and they all rallied around. Um, And I think that, you know, those first days after somebody passes, you're in this like fog of grief, but everybody else is in that with you. Right. So like they're feeling different things, but nobody's working. Everybody's kind of just like in limbo and right. you're like doing the things you're checking off the list. You know, we went to the funeral home the next day and I came home from the funeral home after making the arrangements and my house was full of people mm-hmm. um, because half of our friends had keys to our house and they let themselves in and they, you know, had food and drinks ready and, you know, just, they were awesome. around um, and through the service and through, you know, the weeks after the service um, and they, they rallied around, you know, very, very much. And it was wonderful. 
Let me, let's talk about those moments after um, you lost Pugsley, you know, and people are here coming to your house already in your house when you get home. And like you said, they're grieving. They're like up in it with you. Okay. But during those times, I know from interviewing different people, they've gone through the same thing is that they don't know what to say. People just mm-hmm. have no idea what to say to you. Some people say the most inappropriate things it's like, Oh, you know, now he's oh, in yeah. school and all these wonderful things. And you had a great life with him and all these things that you don't want to hear at that time. Tell me, so a couple of things that you'd want people to say to you, like if there's somebody else in this same spot, what kind of language and stuff would you give to the people listening who maybe have, have someone who's lost somebody and they want to communicate with them, but they just do not know what to say. What kind yeah. of things would you um, give to us today? So sometimes it, just don't say anything mm-hmm. for a lot. I mean, people said things to me. Yes. Like he's in a better place and he's not suffering. I'm like, well, his place was fine here and he wasn't suffering. Okay. He was healthy. He was active. We like had this great life. So, you know, I had a lady say to me, um, at his funeral service, I'm standing at the casket and she's an older lady. She goes to my sister's hair salon. Mm -hmm. Um, and she came up and she said, honey, this isn't even that bad. And I'm going to tell you why. And I thought, please do. (laughs) Okay. And she said, God's coming. God's coming and we're all going home. Mm-hmm. And I said, thanks for coming. <laughs> because I like people say things and they mean right. well. And that's right. what, like you said, they truly, they mean well and they, but they don't know what to say. And I think the most powerful thing for me was people who reached out to me and said, I have no words. Right. Nothing I say can make this better, but I just want you to know that I'm here. I'm here for you in whatever way you need. And if that's to sit with you and cry with you, I'm there. Mm -hmm. You know, the he's in a better place and like, you know, all of those things. But I think for me anyway, those early days, I was so angry. Mm -hmm. I was in this like awful state of like anger and bitterness towards everybody. So nothing that anybody said made me feel better. Right. Um, other than just like, I love you and I'm here. Mm-hmm. Who so, are you? Who would you say you were angry at? I, I was just like angry at my situation, at the situation. I felt like this, I was angry with God. Um, I had a lot of conversations with God where I was angry and right. kind of battling that. Like, how could you let this happen? Right. Um, how, you know, this isn't what was supposed to happen. I've done, I'm a good person. I've done the things that I feel like I'm supposed to do. Right. I, you know, I'm a nurse. I take care of people. Um, this isn't fair. Mm-hmm. Um, and I sat with that anger for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, and I sat with it long enough until I realized that it was just my defense mechanism for grief. Right. Because it's a lot easier to be angry than to be sad. Sure. Um, And it took me a while to figure that out. But I wasn't angry. You know, even from the minute the accident happened, I was not ever angry with, like, the other people on the job. Right. I wasn't angry at them because I knew in my heart of hearts that they would never want something like this to happen. Sure. Um, so I was never angry with them and I was never, I was just angry at the situation and that right. this is like, and it was a selfish anger. Like this is what my life has become. Mm-hmm. You know, what am I supposed to do now? Yeah. But you know, I don't think it's a selfish anger. It's, it's an anger because one of the things that I even wrote down from the very beginning when we started talking about the story is that you're a planner. You're very systematic. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. this was clearly not part of the plan, right? right. Definitely. And 
I, I bet you were processing that in the hours and days afterwards. Like I had this plan for us. We were going to get married, have an apartment, have a house. We were going to have babies and we we're going to mm-hmm. grow old together. And now, now you're gone. Now mm-hmm. what, what's the plan? Right. What were you feeling in those days afterwards about your plan? I knew you were angry, but what were you thinking? What, what's next? For yeah. Me? Yeah. So I, what exactly that, what is next? What am I supposed to do? I talked a lot, you know, my girlfriends would come over a lot, Sarah and Cecilia and my sister, they would be at the house a lot. And, um, you know, everybody has those words of you're young and your life will go on. And, um, but it wasn't like what I wanted to hear at the time. Um, and I talked about, well, maybe I'll go back to the hospital. I'll work night shift because I'm not sleeping at night anyway. So maybe right. I'll go back and I'll work nights and then that'll be easier because I can sleep all day and I won't have to deal with it, you right. know? Sure. Um, and I just didn't, I was like staying with my mom. Um, God love her. I'd slept on her couch for weeks, um, after the accident because I just couldn't stand to be home. Sure. Um, so, you know, just, I was just like in limbo. I hadn't gone back to work. I didn't know if I wanted to go back to work, if that would be a good distraction or if I should just, you know, not go back to work. I just was like in right. limbo, hanging out at people's houses because I didn't know what else to do. Sure. So, I mean, you're up in a tough moment and, you know, I know that you, like you had planned a big life for you and a family to come. What kind of news came weeks afterwards? Yeah, so um, Pugsley died on the 22nd of August, um, which was a Tuesday, um, and Tuesday kind of became a a big word in our world. Um, uh, all of our friends and family would say it was it was a Tuesday. You know, everything bad always happened on a Tuesday. Right. Um, and so he died on the 22nd. The next Monday evening was his visitation, um, and then the next Tuesday was the day that we buried him. And then the following Monday after we buried him um, was Labor Day. Mm-hmm. So everybody was like off work. And I had I had been staying at my mom's, like I said. So I was at my mom's that Sunday night. And I woke up in the middle of the night and I was like so sick. I was like nauseous. I thought I was going to pass out. I thought like I've, I'm so run down. I haven't been sleeping. I haven't been eating. I've got like a stomach virus. Sure. And so I ran into my mom's bathroom and the whole room was spinning like I've never encountered before. Mm-hmm. And I thought like, I'm going to pass out. So I yelled for my mom and she came in and within a couple minutes, like the room stopped spinning and I was just fine. And I was like, that is bizarre. I don't know what right. is going on. I went back to sleep. I came home the next day and my mom's like, that was really weird. I'm like, yeah, I know. Um, so I came home and I took a shower and I laid down and I was laying in bed and just thinking about life, you know, that's all I felt. My thoughts were just consumed with like, this has happened and still trying to wrap my head around it. Um, and then I got to thinking like, so we had been trying, um, actively trying to have a baby for three months. Mm -hmm. Um, and I hadn't really thought much about that obviously since he passed away. Oh yeah. Um, and so then I got to thinking and I was like, oh my gosh, like what if I'm pregnant? Mm-hmm. And so I got up and I had pregnancy tests because we had been trying to have a baby and I took a pregnancy test solely to ease my mind that sure. that's not why I was so sick. And it like instantaneously was positive. Um. And I was shocked again. Mm. Um, I like stood in the bathroom and I just like leaned over the counter and I was just hysterical mm. um, because in that moment, I was terrified and like 
you know, just so scared. Like the, my husband just died. I can't even take care of myself at this point emotionally right. and physically like eating. And now I'm going to have a baby by myself, you know, and it felt unfair in that moment. Like yeah. this isn't how it was supposed to be. Right? right. This wasn't part of my story that I wrote out. Um, and I cried and I called my sister and, um, I said, well, I just took a pregnancy test and it's positive. I guess that's kind of my, my MO in these situations, right. just blurt it out. Yeah. <laughs> um, and she said, shut up. And I was like, yeah, she said, you're lying. I said, I'm not lying. I'm pregnant. <laughs> and she said, I'll be right there. And she backed into her cousin's car, like leaving her driveway. It was a whole ordeal because she was so panicked. Um, and she got to my house with a bag full. I think she like bought out CVS's pregnancy test and she comes like bolting in the house and I'm just in my bedroom crying, just right. crying. And she just like hugged me and we cried and we cried. And you know, I called my mom and I told her and I called a few of my friends and they came over and we all again, just kind of sat in my living room, like, Mm -hmm. This is really happening. This is seriously happening. And very quickly, those feelings of like terror right. um, turned into, you know, excitement because I could quickly see like that this was such a blessing right. and such like a mirror, a true like miracle that this was happening. Um, but, you know, those first moments and mm -hmm. hours were not beautiful moments. You oh, know, yeah. they were very scary. Right. Well, I mean. Here you are. You just buried your husband. Right. You're barely keeping it together. I mean, and barely is probably not even the word to describe it, right? Yeah. And you're feeling sick and all these different things. And now you find out, I'm going to be raising a baby right now in my hot mess of a life. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to be raising this baby alone. So, right. I, yeah, I, sure, there was terror and a lot of panic thinking, I can't do this. You know, I, I'm very strong enough to get through this next hour. But the right. switch in your mind and your heart that God can take a little bit of that pain away from you and give you a little bit of that peace to realize this is a miracle. This is a promise from God mm -hmm. and with your husband that he will live on through your unborn child yet at this moment. Um, mm -hmm. and, and dealing with all those emotions was probably just such a powerful day for you. Yeah. And so after that initial shock, what were the days like after that? Did you start a new planning list? Did you start a new checklist of life? Yeah. So um, I thought, okay, well, um, I have to go back to work because I'm going to need this time off. I'm being, you know, my PTO, I'm going to need to take maternity leave. Sure. Um, so I called uh, my boss and I told him like, um, so I'm not, I can't, you know, this isn't public information, but I'm pregnant. Mm -hmm. um, and so I have to come back to work. Right. Um, so I, I went back to work and I was so terrified. You know, I think ever, most people are really nervous in their first trimester of pregnancy mm -hmm. um, because that is when, you know, majority, I would say, of miscarriages happen. Um, and most people don't announce it until eight or 12 weeks. But I was like so scared. Sure. Um, I didn't want people to know that I was pregnant so soon because I didn't want anybody else to feel bad for me. Sure. You know, everybody that I ran into gave you that look of like, Oh, her husband died. Right. You know? And I was so sick of that look. And I thought if anybody else knows that anything else bad happens to me, I'm just going to have to move out of right. this town because <laughs> I can't keep doing this. Yeah. So you don't want to have very... to deal with another loss. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so I went back to work and I just like went on with 
my new normal life. I went to work, I came home, I had a dog. Um, I had a lot of dinners at my mom's and my sister's, you know, they were so great. And I mean, my brother-in-law would text me like, your sister's working tonight, but we're having meatloaf. So I'll see you at six, you know, like (laughs) just all of our family and my husband's family, you know, I had told them um, as well. And they were ecstatic. um, And they were, you know, so just over the moon excited. And um, so there was a lot of happy in those days. You know, I, right. I read a quote once that said, like, um, sometimes God gives you a baby when you need a reason to live. Mm-hmm. And that resonated so much with me. I was never, luckily, like, I was never suicidal. And I never wanted to, like, hurt myself. I didn't want to die. Right. But I was certainly in a really, like, dark place. And I didn't have, I felt like I didn't have purpose and I was just sad. I was just really sad. Um, and then, you know, so I do think that Charlie is my daughter's name. Um, I do think that Charlie was sent directly from God and from Pugsley, um, you know, to, to give me hope and give me that, like, there are good days ahead, you know, hang with me. There are good days ahead. So well, it's important to know, and I've shared this on multiple podcasts is that, you know, God doesn't just put us on the earth just to suffer, mm-hmm. but through our suffering and the pain that he'll come alongside us and that we'll be able to get through that. And what's the amazing thing that I've seen in, in my life through things I've went through and other people is that when you go through these pains, you don't see it in the moment, but God's equipping you to come alongside somebody else mm-hmm. eventually when they're going through something. Cause you're like, Honey, I have been there in that moment Mm -hmm. where I wanted to give up, where I had zero hope and it was very dark and I'm here now and you just needed to be that person to show up and sit with that person, to sit Mm -hmm. in that pain with them and deal with that. Hey, I wanted to go back into your story just a little bit. And so what happens is you become part of a club that you don't want to be part of. You know, you've, you've lost your husband. And the thing that I've heard so many times and I wanted to hear from you as well is that Yes, here you are. You've lost your husband. You're in a turmoil and you're trying to find your new normal. But the people around you, their life goes on. They go back to work. They go back to their families. And even though they still love you, they care for you, they go on. They don't think about it every second of every day, all night long, have that anxiety Mm -hmm. and that pain. They move on and go forward with their life. What was that like seeing that happen to you during your story? So it's very hard. Um, That is something. So that exact thing is really, I mean, of all the things that I went through, that is what made me decide to go to therapy. Um, I had not been to therapy yet. And I was like, I've got this. I'm fine. You know, I can deal with it. And my sister especially kept saying, like, you need to go to therapy. You're not fine. Mm -hmm. And it was that um, that finally made me decide to go to therapy because, you know, I've talked about we had this huge group of friends. and they were, they rallied around and they're great and they're all amazing people. And I love them with my whole heart, Right. but their lives went on, you know, and I knew it. I, I hear people say that, you know, before with the harder days or when it's over and everybody moves on to their normal. And mm-hmm. I thought, well, they're not going to do that. Like they're my right. friends and they'll be around and it's not an intentional thing. And it's not like a malicious thing, but people's lives do move forward. They right. do move on. Um, and they, you know, it, I felt like my every day from the time I wake up till the time I go to sleep was completely altered and nobody else's was. Right. And, um, you know, they, they miss him and, you know, all of those things, but 
it's different. Your whole life changes. Your circle of people change. And I had talked to my counselor, my therapist about it. And I said, you know, I just feel like I've, I've lost all of my friends too. Like they were Pugsley's friends, but they have been a huge part of my life for the last 10 years. Mm -hmm. Um, and they're, they're in different places in their life and I'm in a different place in my life. And she said, yeah, you have to find new friends was her statement to me. And I said, I don't want new friends. Right. I don't want a new life, a different life. And she said, it's just part of like the evolution of these situations, divorces, death, people move forward and move on. Um, and you just have to move with that. Um, and you will find new circles of people. And she said, you know, that doesn't mean that you don't love those people and which is a hundred percent true. I love them. And I have some of like my favorite memories in life with these people and we're still in touch, but it's just a different relationship. Um, it's a different type of relationship and it, you know, we're not as close as we were. And so it's hard, it's hard, you know, to swallow that, that like you feel like you've already lost so much, but then you also kind of lose this group of people that you were so close with. So I have a question I have, and I know this has happened to other people is that, so you've now you've lost your husband. So you're already isolated. You've isolated from the, by the pain. Right. And now all the people who are your friends that love you and support you, now they're holding back sharing things with you because they don't want you to know that they're happy. Like, Hey, we're mm-hmm. having a baby, but I don't want to tell you that because I know you're going through this or, or right. if they've gone through something painful, they don't want to share it with you because they don't want to upset you. And now you mm-hmm. become double isolated because yeah. now nobody knows what to say and do. Did that same kind of thing happen? Yeah. A lot of, you know, my girlfriends previously to Pugsley dying would talk about, you know, their husbands made a mat. They got in this fight. They things that happen in marriage, you know. Right. So and so's driving me nuts or so and so whatever. He's working late all the time. And those conversations stopped. Um because I'm sure they thought, well her husband died. How can I complain about, you know, John leaving his laundry in the hallway when her husband died? Or how can I complain that Bob did this when her husband died? But it is. It's it's isolating because you, you want that relationship still, you know, you're like, I'm still the same person. And I know that my husband died, but I know that yours didn't, mm-hmm. but they're afraid, you know, they don't want to hurt you anymore. So I think it, it comes from a good place, but it certainly in the end becomes isolating um, because you just want normalcy. Right. Yeah, absolutely. So would you, what would you say to the people? Keep, keep talking to me, keep me in the loop. Yeah, just, yeah, yeah, you know, things happen to people, but, and it changes them certainly in some ways, but they're still the same people, right? You know, they're still the same friend that you've known, the same sister, cousin, daughter, like they're still the same person. They just have this other part of their story, um, and their life that you help them get through, you know? And so they, I think that people who have been through really traumatic situations as a generalization, I think that they are pretty understanding of situations because they're like, Oh, I've been there, you know, or I've been through some stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, just keep talking and keep, keep trying with, you know, communicating with them and trying to make them feel as normal as possible. Right. That's good. That's really good advice. And I thank you for sharing that. So let's talk about this. You talked about you live in a small town. Everybody mm-hmm. knows everything about everything and everybody. So that is small town gossip. It happens, right? Mm-hmm. What was that like after Pugsley's accident? What was the talk around your town and what did people think they knew? What was truth? What was, wasn't real? What happened? Yeah. 
Um, so everybody kind of had, I think, their own version of the story. You know, something gets said and then twisted into four different versions. Um, we didn't really, like, I didn't really go into detail with people. There was speculation um, because he died so young. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, unfortunately, in today's society and culture, um, when somebody passes away really young, um, a lot of people associate that with, like, drug use. They overdose. Um, and so I think our close friends were very mindful when they posted things um, that it was a work accident. It was an industrial right. accident, you know. And people that knew him certainly knew that he was never into, like, drugs or anything. But I think there, you know, people question, well, what happened to him? Like, how did, you know, he's 30 years old. How did that happen? Um, And just, like, not understanding his line of work and not understanding um, truly what he did and, like, the dangers of it. Right. So I'm glad that you shared that because, you know, people had their own misconceptions about what really happened and people get suspicious and for whatever reasons other than the fact that he died from a, you know, horrible accident. So as we're going to jump back into your story about, you know, uh, your daughter and you find out you're pregnant and here's the weeks and months to come. You're going back to work. What, how did your life start to go? What was the pregnancy like? Yeah. Um, so it was, it was an easy pregnancy, um, up kind of until the end. Um, it was great. I worked through my whole pregnancy. Um, I had amazing friends at work, so they were very, Mm -hmm. you know, understanding of my situation. Um, and then towards the end of my pregnancy, um, but they ended up inducing me early for high blood pressure. Um, I went to the hospital just to have my blood pressure checked and then they were like, so we're going to keep you. (laughs) And I was not, I was like, no, you're not. I have three more weeks. You know, I don't need to stay here. I have a plan. Yeah, Yeah, I have a plan. This is not part of my plan. Um, so I stayed and they induced me. Um, and I had a baby on the 27th. Um, they kind of broke my water in the morning and I Mm -hmm. had her by three o'clock. Um, I had an epidural because that was my plan and the epidural didn't take, um, which was not my plan. Um, so, I had a lot of, you know, it was kind of wild and crazy, but we survived. And um, she was here and beautiful and wonderful. Um, what, and, was that, what was that first moment like when you got to hold Charlie for the first time? You know, it was amazing um, and bittersweet. You know, I my sister was in the room and my mom and my friend, um, Sarah, and I had, you know, family and friends out in the waiting room. Um, but you certainly had, like, there's still this sense of like loss, like Pugsley was supposed to be there. This is Pugsley's baby. You know, he should have been there. Um, but I think by that point I was so like, I had accepted it. Mm -hmm. Um, and it like accepted that this was my story that it just, this is how it played out. Um, and I was just grateful for that moment. I was grateful that she was here. I was really anxious through my whole pregnancy, like that something would happen, that I would lose her because, you know, you just have this fear of loss, like the unthinkable happened to you and it could happen again. Right. Um, and so I was glad that she was here and healthy, um, and that we both survived (laughs) the pregnancy. (laughs) (laughs) So how old is she now? She is almost two. She'll be two in April. What's that like? Oh my gosh. She is so (laughs) wild. She's so fun. She um, looks a lot like me, but she definitely has her dad's personality. Uh Um, She is hysterical and she is just full of life. That child, she just never sits down and she's so like funny and Mm -hmm. strong-willed. She's very, very (laughs) strong-willed. 
she has a huge vocabulary and she is like funny and wild, but then she's super sweet and she's a snuggler. She's a mama's girl. So she is just the light of my life. And those things, you know, you can kind of look back and think, you know, God, how, when I found out I was pregnant, like, God, how am I going to do this? And how, and now I'm kind of in a place where I'm like, God, how did I not trust you? How did I not know that this would turn out? And she is just so much more than I ever could have imagined. So that is amazing. I'm happy to hear that. There's a couple of things I wanted to ask you about going through everything and you being such a planner. And then, you know, I think what is God, the quote is, you know, you plan something and God laughs, you know, Mm -hmm. has that changed in your life to not be so systematic and planning and just kind of like letting go and letting God take over? To a degree. Yes. So it's something that I still kind of struggle with. Um, but I actually, I spoke at the funeral. Um, I got up and spoke like at the, of the viewing about, you know, Pugsley would always say like, I want to buy the boat and I want to buy a motorcycle. And I was so like, you can't do that. We have to buy a house first. We have to do this first, get your priorities straight. And so after he died, I kind of like threw that out the window and was like, you know, you only live once. Like, right. I just, you have this realization that like life is so short, truly is like so short and so precious. And I refuse to live the rest of my life being anything else but happy. Mm -hmm. And despite what that looks like to other people and despite, you know, my choices and my decisions and what other people think of them, which is what I was so worried about before, right? You have to have your priorities in line and make Mm -hmm. sure you're doing things the right way, says society. And now I'm really just like YOLO. You got to do what you want to do. And life is so short. So like buy the boat, buy the motorcycle, you know, do the things that you want to do. Take the trip, you know, it's because your Tuesday could be next, you know, like this was my Tuesday, but your Tuesday might be next. So you should take that trip. You should go on vacation. You should tell your, you know, cousin that you love her when you've had a falling out, like you Mm -hmm. should do those things. Um, And, you know, I learned all of that through this experience. Yeah, Absolutely. I wanted to ask you a couple of questions. Um, do you still deal with the fear of loss in your life right now? Do you still have that that's maybe in the back of your mind? Oh, yeah. Um, and that was another reason, like, I started going to counseling, too, is I just have this anxiety that I battle. And I, you know, I pray about it and I trust God and I talk to God, but I still struggle with it. It's a demon right. that... I'm constantly fearful. Um, you know, if Charlie gets sick or if I don't hear, you know, my mom leaves my house, but she doesn't text me when she gets home, I can go immediately to that like irrational place. Right. Um, and I think that, yeah, like when you've been through the unthinkable, the unthinkable becomes a lot more realistic to you. Right. You know, that happened to me. So something else really bad could happen to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's something that I, I still, I try to work through every day and some days I'm better at it than others. Um, but I try to think like, you know, I'm 28 and that was a really, really awful bad day, but all my other days have panned out pretty well, you know, so the odds really are in our favor, but it's still just, it's hard and it's Mm -hmm. scary. Well, I'm glad you shared that because I think people are so nervous about sharing those anxieties that they have, that they do do have those demons about that fear of that same bad thing coming back into their life again. And I'm glad that you're honest in sharing that. I think that's going to really help somebody. Um, One of my podcasts I interviewed, her name was Kendra Zaru, and she talked about losing her husband to cancer. And she since then has been a grief counselor and things like that and helps so many people. And one of the things that she talked about with her and how her life evolved is that 
one, you will grieve too much. And the other side is you will not grieve enough for other people. Mm -hmm. Like too long. Like you've already given up and you're moving on. At what point did you start to experience that in your life when you're, you're starting to now, you had the baby, you're moving on and you know, you want to have companionship, right? You, yeah. you still, you're still a human. You guys still have feelings. You still see people who could be attractive to you, who could be your companion, could have front, have some fun with and things like that. At what part did you start to maybe consider bringing someone back into your life as a companion or a friend and how that was accepted by the family and the friends of your uh, husband who's deceased and your immediate family. Yeah. Um, so Charlie was born in April. Um, and like in the fall, um, my friend Jen that I spoke about earlier that mm -hmm. I worked with, um, she started having these like family nights um, big, for me essentially, but they didn't want me to know that. Right. Right. Um, to help me because I was a new mom, first time mom, single solo, solo parent, right? Not just a single parent. I'm an only parent. Um, so we would have dinner at her house a few, like every other week or so. Um, and it was just a time where, you know, the people that you could just be yourself with and there was no judgment and there was no, they're like, we love you and we're here for you ultimately, you know? And so in that, you know, kind of safe space, um, a, a previous coworker of ours. Um, so this is like fall, you know, so it's been a little over a year, right. um, after, after Pugsley died. And so a previous coworker of ours um, started coming to these two sometimes. Um, and we just kind of reconnected. Um, his name is Mark. Mm -hmm. um, and he is like the complete opposite um, of Pugsley mm -hmm. um, in, in all aspects. So right. in his like appearance, his profession, his attitude, his like all of his things. Um, and so we just kind of hung out because we had known each other for years um, and we were really comfortable around each other. There right. was no pressure or whatever. Um, and I was not looking to, to move forward or date anybody. Um, right. but I was certainly lonely, you know, like I loved my daughter and, but like she went to bed at seven o'clock and then I'm here I am. Let's revisit the grief, you know, yeah. let's, let's sit down and think about how life should have turned out, but how it did turn out. Mm -hmm. Um, and so it was, you know, we hung out a few times and, um, things kind of just like blossomed from there, I guess, you know, we hung out and then we hung out more and more frequently and, mm -hmm. um, all of, not all of, but a lot of our family and friends knew him because we had worked together previously. Okay. Um, and so we kind of made a decision, um, to like start dating. Um, and you know, that was a big, my situation is certainly unique. Right. <laughs> um, and the 30 year old dating world. Right. Um, I like got a new family doctor and he was doing my first physical and he's like, so tell me about yourself. So I tell him like, well, my husband died when I was 25 and then I had a baby and blah, blah, blah. And he's like, well, that's interesting. You know, are you, he's a really old man. He's right. like, are you, have you started dating yet? And I was like, well, no, I'm like, that's not really like the perfect e-harmony, you know? <laughs> yeah logo like oh I'm a 25 year old widow with a baby like who wants to hang out with me you know 
Um, so, you know, there's a lot of insecurity, like, surrounding dating. Um, I didn't know, I didn't want to, like, make the wrong decision um, for my own life and for my daughter's life. Sure. Um, you know, you want to do the right thing. Um, and so, you know, Mark and I kind of decided to actually, like, be in a relationship. Um, and we had a lot of conversations before that, you know, like I said, you know, I will always love Pugsley. I will always miss him. He will always be a huge part of my life. Um, but I also know that there is so much life left to live. Right. Um, and I want to be happy and, you know, whole and in a great relationship for the rest of my days. Um, and so, you know, I, my friends kind of knew a little bit about him and my family. Um, I had a conversation with my mother-in-law and my sister-in-law and kind mm -hmm. of told them. Um, and I was nervous about their right. reaction. You know, I didn't want to upset anybody and I didn't want to do the wrong thing and I didn't want to hurt anybody's feelings, but I also felt like this is my life. You know, you only have one life and you have to do what's best for you. Sure. Um, but yeah, there's, and so they were wonderfully accepting and they were like, we're so happy for you and we love you and we just want you to be happy and we just want, you know, somebody great in Charlie's life because she deserves that and you deserve that. So it was, it was, perceived very well from my family and friends. Um, great, some, yeah. yeah um, some of, I think, Pugsley's friends, like guy friends, have, have had a little bit more of a challenging time um, accepting it, not outwardly, um, but just in like distancing themselves. Um, because I just think they're not sure now where they fit in. Sure. In our life. Um, and I think that that's understandable. Um, but, you know, I think it, it's just, it's kind of a challenging dynamic. Again, because we do live in such a small town and everybody knows yeah. everybody. Mark does not come from a small town. Um, and so when we go to Kroger and I run into 14 people and people like <laughs> take Charlie out of the cart because they know her and he's like, um, who, what's happening? You know, or I, we go eat and I know the waitress and he's like, this is bizarre. Like you seriously live in like, Mayberry, you know, um, but it's, it's great. Um, everybody has been wonderful, you know, and they're very nice to Mark and, um, he has fit right in, in our family and he, you know, he's taken on a really big role, um, essentially, yeah. you know, and I think he's very careful as am I, like he doesn't want to overstep anything, but sure. he also like wants it to be our life moving forward as well. Um, so I think that's been an interesting dynamic too. Um, but yeah, I think a lot of people go through and I, I've talked to people who have gone through like, well, my in-laws were just irate and they won't speak to me or right. my friends alienated me. And I was so lucky that I really didn't experience any of that. Um, which is a huge blessing because that would, it's already like a hard thing. It's hard to decide, like, I'm going to move forward. And exactly like you, like you said, people, everybody has their own timeline for right. you because it's really easy to judge from the outside. Sure. It's easy to say, Oh my gosh, it's only been a little over a year and she's dating while other people. And I had friends that said like, you need to get out there. You're young. Like okay. you, you know, you deserve to live your life too. Mm -hmm. So everybody has their own opinion. Right. Um, and you kind of just have to do what's best for you and your life and wish everybody else the best as yeah. well. Yeah, you're right. You, you have to move on for you and what what's appropriate for you at that time because every time is going to be different for everybody, right? You're going to have yeah. people are going to mourn longer and that's okay. Some people yeah. are going to mourn less and that's okay. You got to do what's okay for you. So what I always ask for everybody on the end of any podcast after they've shared their story and the things that they've gone through is 
what kind of hope or and encouragement can you offer to somebody who's going through something similar similar to what you're going through right now? So I would say, you know, when you're going through, like you're in, you're, you're in the throes of it, you know, you're in those, those early days and those early moments and you feel like you just can't keep your head above water. Mm -hmm. Um, And everyone's telling you like, it will be okay and you will be okay. And you don't want to believe them because you just don't, you will. Um, The sun will come up tomorrow, um, regardless of what you're going through. And I remember I would see people and think like, how are these people just driving to work? Like, don't they know, you know, what happened to me and don't they know what I'm going through? But I didn't know what they'd been through, you know? And so I can see that now kind of on this other side of grief, um, is that you just have to keep trying and keep pushing and just know that like your life matters too. This isn't you know, I feel like for a while I was consumed and like, this is my story. Right. Um, this is my life. But now I can look and say like, this is part of my life and this is a huge part of my story. Um, but there is a lot more life for me, mm-hmm. um, and a lot more life to live and be happy. And, you know, so just to keep pushing and know that, you know, in the end, this is just part of your story and part of your journey. Right. And that one day you will be able to look back and it won't be so painful and it won't be so raw. Um, not to say that you won't always have hard days, you know, and things, right grief kind of hits you out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes you don't even understand why right. you're having this like emotional day. Um, but it does and it sneaks up on you and that's okay. So, mm-hmm. you know, surround yourself with the people that love you rally around your people and let them rally around you. I think that's amazing. And one thing that stood out when you talk about is that you drive to work and you think, why do these people not know that I've lost my husband and mm-hmm. they should be in just as much pain as I am but you consider the other people as well. And that's one of the things that we don't consider is we're all connected by these invisible strings, right? And those yeah. invisible strings are those things that we suffer with every day, that things that you, people are walking by invisibly that you will never see that's burdening their life at that time. And just to be mm-hmm. aware and be kind to people yes. because you do not know and not to judge at all as well. Yes. Well, Brittany, you've done a powerful and an amazing thing being here today. I mean, one you've got to share about Pugsley, AKA Andrew, because I think that his real name went out the window probably a long time ago (laughs) and share about him and the things he was passionate about and the way he made others feel just by walking in the room. And I think that's such an amazing way to carry on. And also that you were able to speak to the people who are up in grief right now, or maybe just went through it or have a family member who's going through it and giving them the right language and the right permission to speak to those people in that way, I think is phenomenal. So thank you so much for being here today. I really appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me and letting me have this kind of platform and outlet to Mm -hmm. talk to people. Absolutely. So if people want to connect with you, maybe we can put some of your contact information in the show notes. Would that be okay? Yeah, definitely. Okay. We'll definitely do that. So if anybody wants to reach out and ask you a question about maybe something that they're going through and maybe you can relate to them a little bit better. They can do that. So again, thank you for taking the time to be here. What you did was very powerful, strong, and important. Thank you. Well, I'm very thankful for Brittany for being on the show today. She did an amazing job and I'm so thankful for her being vulnerable and being real with all of us. Yes. Her story was full of some laughter, some joy, tragedy, faith, 
and finding that love and finding the support in the unscheduled times in our life and the unplanned times of our life. Brittany mentioned it multiple times through her story, and I did ask her about that, as you heard, about her planned life. And so often we all have those plans, and we see our life from this point A to point B in this beautiful straight line. And in our lives, we do not anticipate the zigzags. And in those zigzags come the pain, but also in those zigzags, we find that strength. We find that courage to go on. We find that hope that we didn't think we had because of the struggles that we did not anticipate in the zigzags. So let me ask this question to all of you. When's the last time you let go of the plan and let life just happen around you? Because one of my favorite quotes is from Alexander Graham Bell, and most of you guys have heard this before, was that, you know, when one door closes, another one opens. And that's usually the end of the quote that we hear. But the last part is where I think all the growth is, is that so often we fixate so much on that closed door that we don't see the door open and the blessings right in front of us that God is waiting for us to step into. And closed door doesn't always mean about losing a job. It could be about a tragedy in your life. It could be about losing someone. And that door has been closed in your life. But so often we are so upset, so sad. We fixate on the loss so much that we don't see what's to gain right in front of us. So today I want you, if you've gone through a loss or you're going through a loss right now, and that door is closed, and you know that door is closed, you're pulling on it with everything you have, and you are not getting back in, to let it go. Let it go. And start to open your eyes to the blessings that God has in front of you to step into. Because they're there. I promise you they're there. Because if you go back and you think about any time in your life, any time that you've gone through something, and when you finally have let it go, there's something better waiting for you right around the corner. But when you're up in it, it's so hard to see it. It's so hard to feel it because you feel like you have this major loss and you're carrying around this weight that nobody else sees and you can't find that blessing. I'm not going to sing Let It Go, but I want you to hear the song in your head and do let it go and be ready for those blessings. Be ready for that next thing because it's there for you because God has a plan for all of us. I've said it on the podcast and I'll say it a thousand more times because it is real and it is true is that God did not just put us on the earth to suffer, but through our suffering that we will gain faith, we will gain experience. Because anytime that I have failed in my life, anytime that I've gone through anything and it was down deep and dark, that even though I didn't see it at the time, God was equipping me to come alongside other people when they were going through the same thing or another struggle. And I've come alongside so many people based upon things I have gone through and the things that God equipped me with. And I know you've probably done that in your life and you've probably had people come alongside of you when you needed that hope and encouragement. So it's there. Be ready for it and be ready to step into that and be ready to find that lesson in the pain, find that beauty in the chaos and know that things can be great for you again. I promise you that. And the last thing I wanted to share today was I talked to Brittany all about her loss, right? About that fear of something coming and happening again and that tragedy happening again. And she said, you know, how can I not? You know, I try not to let my mind go there, but it goes there because of the loss that I suffered so sudden and so impactful in my life that I'm always 
potentially fearful, even though I should trust in God, have that faith, but I'm always fearful that something else could happen again. So I'm going to leave you with this final question and this final thing to ponder is that in life, there are two things that are unseen and two things that we don't know and have not happened yet. They are faith and fear, two invisible things we can't see, two powerful things that we all rely on. But which one will you choose? Because if they're both invisible, haven't happened yet, are you going to put all your energy into that fear? It's a powerful thing to think of because they're two big, strong things pulling you in either direction. And if you have the choice, and if I have the choice to choose faith over fear, I'm going to choose faith every time. Because on the faith side, that's where it is that great outcome. On the faith side, I win. On the faith side, I have a future. On the faith side, I can see God's love and God's grace in my life. Where on the fear side, all it is is loss. All it is is loss over and over again. So today, choose hope. Choose faith over fear in your life, in your decisions, and know that that hope is right around the corner and that powerful faith is there for you all along. Guys, I am so thankful and excited to be back for season three. I really appreciate you taking your time to download the podcast today, to listen, to be inspired, and to walk away with hope from Brittany's story. As I talked about at the very beginning, this podcast is nothing without you, the listeners. And I always ask for your help is that I'm looking for more people to be on the podcast. I'm looking for amazing stories of hope and encouragement. And so if you're listening today, do not once for even one second think that your story does not matter. Because when you shut your story down and you say, oh, what I went through, it doesn't matter. What you're doing is robbing the world of you. And there is no one else in the world like any of you. You guys are all uniquely perfect in the best way possible. So what have you gone through? Someone else is probably going through it, already has gone through it. And to hear your voice of encouragement may be a big deal in their life. But here's the thing. If you're too nervous to come on the podcast, you can submit your written story to me. And I will read it on the podcast. Because if you think, okay, my story does have some merit, but I'm a little nervous about coming on a podcast. You don't have to worry about that. We have another option for you. So if you would like to submit a written story, you can do that at Tim at unwrittenlifepodcast.com. You can go to unwrittenlifepodcast.com and there's a place to contact me on there. Or if you would like to be on the podcast to share your story or you know of someone who would like to be on, or you can reach out to me on my website, unwrittenlifepodcast.com where there's a couple different options if you want to get in contact with me to get on the podcast. So like I said at the very beginning, if you're liking the podcast and you're enjoying it and you want a chance to win a gift card, please leave us a positive written review on iTunes. It goes a long way. Also, check out our website, unwrittenlifepodcast.com. There will be show notes of every show on the podcast where we share some of the contact information for people who have been on the show, some pictures of them and their family as well. Then check us out on social media. Join the Unwritten Life podcast group on Facebook. That is where the majority of the conversation is going on during the week. And also on Instagram, unwrittenlifepodcast.com, where we will also share photos of people who have been on the show. Well, my friends, we've come to the end of yet another episode, but this is not the end of your story at all. So remember, you matter, you can make a difference, and your story is still unwritten. <laughs>